Welcome to Deconstructing Management, a podcast made by college students for college students. We've interviewed the chapter authors of the OpenStax Principles of Management textbook with the intention of bringing each chapter to life. Our goal is to make learning management not suck. Now let's learn a little bit about the interviewee for this chapter. I'm here with Chapter 7 author Siri Turgeson. Dr. Turgeson holds a postdoctorate degree from the Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane, Australia, a PhD from Cranfield University in the UK, a master's from NHH in Norway, and an undergraduate degree from the University of Richmond. She is the author of over 80 publications, two books, many white papers, and manuscripts about entrepreneurship, corporate governance, and strategy. She is currently an Associate Dean of Research and External Relations and Phil Smith Professor of Entrepreneurship at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida, and a professor at the Norwegian School of Economics in Bergen, Norway. Additionally, Dr. Turgeson is a presidential appointee on the National Board of Education Sciences as one of 14 directors overseeing educational research. She is a nationally recognized expert in higher education, strategic management, and entrepreneurship, and we are so glad to welcome her here today. Hello, Siri. How are you doing? Very good, Eric. Thanks so much for inviting me to join you in your class today. Do you believe that successful entrepreneurs are born or are they made? That's a great question. And I think there are quite a lot of entrepreneurs that are born, right? That mm -hmm. even in age five, you're hustling like, my son and his neighborhood friend set up a lemonade stand this weekend and made $60 an hour on a very warm day in, in Florida. And we didn't instigate that, but I think that they can also be made. And I'm extremely committed to entrepreneurship education because many folks may just need a little bit more knowledge, good connections to mentors and some great role models uh, to get them on their way. So We've actually had about 30 or 40 years of research on entrepreneurship education. So we've developed some good ways to really motivate folks and get them off on the right step with their entrepreneurial venture. Those are some good points. For me, I would have to agree with you because they could be born or like my cousin, he's just turned 20 and he's just starting his business and he's figuring out ways on how to develop it more. And That's a great example. What business is he starting? He's going to start like a party business kind of like where he has bouncy houses, tables and chairs. And then on the side, he also has a business on t-shirt selling. That's neat. So really your cousin is a great example of a serial or even a portfolio entrepreneur where you have at least two businesses going that may or may not be related. A lot of times entrepreneurs like to have businesses that are a bit cyclical, right? So when one business is going, so for example, rentals of bouncy houses tends to be a weekend business, but the t-shirts you could make Monday to Friday. And that's wonderful. And actually it's a lot like, if you can remember studying classic management, companies have multiple business units. And sometimes they use the sales and profits from one area to subsidize another area. And sounds like your cousin could do that, could use, for example, the profits from the t-shirt sales to buy another bounce house or find a new way to market his services to other people. And of course, it's a great example with each because there is no restriction on entrepreneurship, at least here in America, in terms of what age you could start. So that's a beautiful example of someone who's able to 
to do that, hopefully concurrently with other activities like college or even high school or middle school. So going straight into another question, what are the most important traits a person must have to become a successful entrepreneur? That's a great question, Eric. And you may have seen this in, in your cousin, right? I think mm-hmm. one of them is tenacity and resilience because unlike a corporate or a traditional job, you've got to make all those decisions, right? So your cousin's got to figure out which t-shirts are going to sell, what designs, what's the right price, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes you get a wall. So that resiliency and ability to kind of push through challenges is so important. Another one is really just being a self-starter. So when you're an entrepreneur, you kind of own your day. You're CEO of your own life and you need to figure out how you can be most productive versus literally punching the clock in other jobs. Those are two pieces, being a self-starter and having great resiliency. Oh, I kind of wish I knew this before starting jobs too. Well, you're never too old. So there's a huge opportunity there. And maybe even with your cousin or with others, you could experiment with different businesses that might work. The other thing we should remember about entrepreneurship is that it doesn't cost a lot of money often to start a business. That in fact, even most of these large Fortune 500 companies that we have here in America, they started with under $5,000, even for entrepreneurs, because there's so many great resources that one can contract for even a limited period of time that it doesn't take a lot of money to start most businesses in most industry sectors. Yeah, he does say it started some time for him to start thinking about it. What traits do you think an entrepreneur shouldn't have? That's a great question. So I think folks who have low risk preferences may not make good entrepreneurs. Even in the first writings about entrepreneurship several hundred years ago, we talked about how entrepreneurs are taking some risks, right? For example, not knowing. So my first job um, in high school was working at the library and shelving all the books according to the new decimal system. And I knew if I worked that job, I would get $3.25 an hour back in 1991. But now we know as entrepreneurs, if I had started a t-shirt business at that age, I wasn't necessarily guaranteed that I would make $3.25 for every hour that I put into the business. So that's important that one needs to have some propensity to take risk. And of course, that's also about picking yourself back up again, right? That some risks are going to pay off and others are not. So I would say a low risk profile is definitely an indicator that you may not want to be an entrepreneur. Or if you choose entrepreneurship and you have a low risk profile, then you want to choose a business that is a little more certain, even though the returns from that business may not be as high as more riskier business. Those are some pretty good points you're making. <laughs> are you thinking of starting your own business someday, Eric? Somewhat, yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out on what it would be, but I have a pretty good idea. And that's the first step, right? Is thinking about what the business would be. And there are actually many people across America who are thinking about starting business like you, but they haven't yet taken the steps, for example, to order the inventory, put up the ad, register the business, but that's all called nascent entrepreneurship. And that's an important stage to think about what business and to spend some time 
with potential customers, observing them, reading about maybe other businesses in the same sector or related sector. That's a really important process. And finding some folks who are entrepreneurs or small business owners to connect with about some of those early questions. Let's see, what else should we talk about? I guess one question I would have for you that we could talk about is what ideas are you thinking about and what are some of the pieces that you think you would need to know a little bit more to to make an informed decision about starting a company in that area? It's mainly, it's also like to start with like shirts, like something so simple, like shirts or like mugs and stuff like that. That's what I was mainly thinking about. But then going into like, the bigger ideas I was thinking about, like starting to like sell like customized controllers and stuff like that. What type of controllers? So, so like the controllers for like Xbox and like PS4. That's neat. We actually have an entrepreneur here who's looking at a new gaming club, right? Because I guess on some online games that you would play on your PC and you would want a better gaming gloves. One activity that entrepreneurs need to do is really think about the industry that they're going into. Mm -hmm. So if you think about gaming, that's growing, both the uh, mobile gaming and then also <laughs> the, the PC gaming. And then think about what are the trends and thinking about willingness to pay. So for example, are people willing to pay to have, apparently there are um, mice that are more turbo mice during games. And so people might be willing to pay for that. And you might have people willing to pay for better headphones for a better gaming experience and then understand whether they would pay for better controllers and thinking about the market. When you're creating a product, it's of course always important to have a prototype. So for example, with controllers, what we would recommend is multiple fast iterations with some sort of what we call a beta test of that product and give it directly to potential customers to get their feedback. And don't necessarily give it to your best friends, but give it to people, unless your best friends are willing to play devil's advocate, really give you um, the right feedback, right? If, I don't know what your grandparents are like, but when I was your age, my grandparents would always be perhaps too kind. You really want feedback feedback to, to improve your product. I feel like feedback is also another key factor into being an entrepreneur because I love taking feedback. I, I don't know what it is. Just like criticism is what makes me think to do better on and what not to do better. Well, that's a wonderful quality that you have, Eric, because that means that every day you're a better version of the Eric from the day before. And that's a quality of entrepreneurs too, right? They're constantly learning. It's almost so rare that someone would come up with the right product or the right service from the initial start and instead that they would need to pivot and the way you pivot is by getting feedback and taking it on and sometimes you have to filter the feedback right because sometimes people give you feedback that may or may not be correct or may or may not be giving to you to serve their own ends but it's important to take on that feedback and readjust as necessary. These are some good tips that you're giving me. So this is similar to what we were just talking about. Some people focus mainly on their self-image. And I was wondering if it helps their entrepreneurship or if it harms it. That's a great question. I think that there's two sides to this question. So I think 
that many entrepreneurs are quite successful by building a brand. So for example, the attraction of Tesla is Elon Musk. The attraction of Palantir is Peter Thiel. The attraction of Bumble right now, it's quite famous. And so 25 year old woman named Whitney who started that company right out of her undergraduate in Texas. And there is something there to the brand appeal, but then there's also something around not caring what other people think, right? So entrepreneurs take risks. Sometimes they create a, a similar product to what's already on the market or a similar service, but sometimes they really innovate. So for example, Whitney and Bumble, apparently the key innovation here is that women could decide whether to swipe left or right on a guy versus Tinder and other apps where I guess it was a mutual decision. And lots of people gave her a hard time for setting up her app that way, but she had to take on board that she was okay with people not liking her idea or, you know, not thinking the most of her because they questioned her idea. So I think while entrepreneurs need to build a brand, they also need to be willing to push in ways that maybe not everybody appreciates, but they come around certainly stronger person. And hopefully, again, to your point earlier on the feedback, with better feedback for a product or service. What else are you thinking about for starting a business? So I wanted to ask you, do you know any other entrepreneurs besides your cousin? Because that can be an important part of the entrepreneurship process. I have many friends that started their own business and some of them, once they found out that they couldn't like keep up with it, they just let it go and they didn't, they just started looking for like jobs. Mm-hmm. And then I also have some friends that their business is like somewhat growing, but like it's still not fully growing. Okay. This is great advice, Eric, to think about. So some advice that we typically get for all types of careers is that, is that you want to surround yourself with the type of people that you want to be around and want to become. And so really important for entrepreneurs to surround themselves with the other entrepreneurs and build that network. For example, tonight here in Boca Raton, Florida, I'll be going to the Boca Raton Chamber of Commerce for an event with lots of entrepreneurs who choose this network, choose to spend a Wednesday night hanging out with other entrepreneurs, even in different sectors. So that's really important. And it's also important to have the conversations because even if you're in two different business areas. So say you're in bounce houses, you're in t-shirts. Another common business for young people is to sell on websites like OfferUp, Mercari, eBay, et cetera. So even if you're not in the same industry, you still have the same challenges, right? For example, how should I set up this business? How do I file taxes? I want to advertise on social media, but which social media accounts and opportunities might work best for me? They can get that kind of feedback from other entrepreneurs. And of course, it's also natural to give up on a business that doesn't work. So what we know in the research is that on average, our Silicon Valley success stories, those individuals had started seven companies before they found that terrific company that became a unicorn that was worth over a billion dollars in in valuation. So it's really important to think about pivoting, right? So even if that first business isn't a success, go on to others. Another common business is actually amongst high school students and college students is actually starting their own company tutoring, could be in classes or could even be for the ACT or SAT. 
So many folks, including, I believe, the founder of Dropbox, his first company was, was an SAT prep company. But of course, he found that setting up a software company would be a lot more lucrative and scalable. But that was the first company. A lot of folks also did landscaping, mowing lawns and weeding for their neighborhoods is another common first business where you learn the basic skills of sales and hustling and keeping track of cash flows. And you can apply those later to more growth oriented businesses. And some of that is even franchising. It's a little bit of a form of entrepreneurship. So for example, selling the candy in school, sometimes you would do it for a club, but sometimes you would just do it for yourself. That's great. And then we also have franchises that operate like that. So technically the folks that own McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts and sub shops, et cetera, that are national brands, when it's owner run, those are technically entrepreneurs as well. But there's typically a little less risk involved in that because you have a national chain that's behind you helping with the marketing and the mail routes and so forth. There seems to be a lot of benefits in being an entrepreneur. What do you think would be the hardest part of being an entrepreneur? That's a great question. So I think one of the downsides of being an entrepreneur is dealing with the failure and sometimes being on your own. So for example, when a company fails, obviously an employee could lose their job there, but they aren't on the front line of that, like an entrepreneur, right? Who may have many other people, including family members and close friends employed. So that's going to be really hard dealing with the failure. And then sometimes feeling like you're all alone on pieces and needing to get um, new information and new networks can certainly be a challenge. But for many people, they really want to rise to it. And they would certainly prefer that to a nine to five job in a typical office environment. How would you overcome it? That's a great question. So I think we can overcome a lot through really two types of capital, but then a third type. So the first one is our human capital. So our knowledge and experiences. So the more you read, the more you listen, the more you work. And of course, the more you get feedback from others, that's going to help you grow and make better decisions and especially focus on how to make decisions. The second piece is the social capital. That's your networks and relationships to other people who can give you good information. So when you can build a network of folks who can give you better information and better ideas and bounce things off with you, that's important. Then the third, of course, is the financial capital, is ensuring that you have enough cash flows to be able to grow the business. And again, we don't need so much money to start a business. But we do need some slack cash flows. For example, if you see that there's a new opportunity in one area and you want to deepen there, then you need the cash flows for that. So let's say your cousin had a great idea for a range of t-shirts focused on some neat phenomena that was, say, really popular with teenagers or college students, then he might need to develop the designs, advertise that is on social media, et cetera, in order to get the customers. And so he'd need a little cash flow for that. Kind of already answered the next question, which is what are some common failures you see? I could cover another one, which is the necessity of pivoting. So if at first that idea for a product or service doesn't work, 
the way you intended, the ability to pivot. So for example, I have a great friend, David Balaga, who started a company called The Right Stuff, which is technology actually from NASA to help hydrate astronauts returning from space. And it's a really neat drinks formula. And he said, you know, I think this would be great for athletes too, because when you're running marathons or playing football, you can get really dehydrated. So his first idea to sell the product was to go to marathons and sell it to people individually who are running those marathons. But that's hard. That's one single at a time. And people at those marathon fairs are really interested in everything that's going on, not just your product. So then he decided that he was going to sell instead to college and professional football and basketball and baseball teams. And that turned out to be better because he could just pitch to one person who could then sell to teams of hundreds and they would buy the product where they had more disposable income too. So there's an example of the necessity to pivot. He still had a great product. He just didn't have a great way of trying to get it to market initially. So I think that's a common failure. Another common failure is failing to listen to your customer. So even when you have a great customer to pick up on the nuances, not only of what your customer says explicitly to you about your product or service, but also what they sort of say implicitly, or if you observe them and you say, oh, well, actually they're using the product in this way. So this could be useful too. So that's an important common failure is not really paying enough close attention to the customer. All right. If you could tell one thing to college students who want to start their own business, what would it be? I would say, please try. Spend some time really investigating that product or service. Have a notebook like the one I have here. Write down your ideas or use your computer. Gather information. There are so many terrific resources out there. No matter where you live in America, there's a small business administration office called SCORE. And that's full of often retired, but still many active, very experienced business people who would love to help you get your business started for free. And then we also have small business development centers all across the country. In fact, we have one here on my campus at a college. And those folks can help you think about your idea. There are so many great resources out there that are available for free in terms of video casts, podcasts. The chapter that you read in this open textbook from OpenStax, it's really important where you can get great information. And then just start, you know, please don't spend an awful lot of money initially. One has to be very careful to budget accordingly. For example, just what we call bootstrap, which is that expression where you pull yourself up by your bootstraps back when you get boots but you don't need a lot. You can really shoestring a budget and just try and keep at it and surround yourself again with great entrepreneurs and people give you some good ideas and feedback. Well, this next question is related to the class. So in this class, we're learning about how to become better managers. So how important is management in entrepreneurship? Great question. I think classically, we would see in the textbooks a distinction between entrepreneurs and managers, right? So managers were in traditional organizations, getting tasks done. Entrepreneurs were kind of in a often new and innovative space. But I think the two are more closely linked because a great entrepreneur also needs to be able to manage people, to manage inventory, to manage customers, 
And so a lot of the skills that you're learning in management around communication, leadership, organization, strategic thinking, those are all really relevant for entrepreneurship as well. And of course, we can think that you really could be in the same sector, but either an entrepreneur or a manager and making similar sets of decisions, right? So if you're an entrepreneur and you set up I don't know if you have these in your community, but we're really lucky to have all these great outdoor food trucks. And anyone can really get going in a food truck business with relatively low capital versus a manager of, say, an existing restaurant chain. Well, sometimes they're making the same decisions, right? How many staff at which times of day? What menu items? How are we going to market? How are we going to stay close to our customers, for example, with engagement before, during, or after that experience. So you end up making a lot of the same types of decisions, but you have the risk of really being on your own as a, as a restauranteer entrepreneur. Yeah. Around here where I live, we don't really have that many food trucks. We mainly have ice cream trucks and they mainly come during summer, obviously. So that's an example of a cyclical business, right? So in the summer, one could have ice cream trucks or an ice cream store, but then the rest of the year, we'd have to think about how best to utilize that space. So whether that functions more, for example, as a coffee shop during the winters. I think the only exception to that I've heard is that in Iceland, people eat ice cream truly all the time. So I have a friend who runs an ice cream store and it's something like the highest ice cream consumption per capita. So starting a second or a third or a fourth ice cream store, even in a small city like Reykjavik with 250 or 350,000 people can still be successful. And of course, that's a little bit to the point of doing market research in your area and ideally choosing an industry that's growing that you can be part of versus an industry that's declining. All right. So earlier we did talk about the financial capital. So how would you get funding to start your own business if you're not independently wealthy? That's a great question. So the first source of money, and again, remember, we don't need so much money, but the first source of um, money to start your business is often yourself. And of course, we're often more responsible when we're spending our own money versus other people's money. And then the second most frequently used source is the three Fs, family, fools, and friends, which is really going to your parents, your grandparents, your aunts and uncles, your brothers and sisters and saying, hey, I've got this idea. Could you support it? Friends as well. And then fools, that's just other folks who want to help you get started. And they may or may not be foolish for supporting a venture. But then as you get larger, there are other sources. And those are generally broken up into debt and equity. So debt is where you take money and you owe that money back. So for example, to on a bank, then you would take a small business loan. Most recently, we've had from the federal government during this uh, COVID crisis, we've had PPP loans. Well, they called them loans, but they were later forgiven. But initially, the idea was that you would pay back the $10,000 or other amount you might be given. And then there's equity over here, which is where you sell a share of your business to others. So for example, you might sell a 1% share of your business for 10000 or 100000 or $1 million, but then those folks do own a piece of your business. And the types of equity funders would include business angels. So those are folks in your community 
who will invest. There is usually an active business angel network in every medium-sized metropolitan market in the United States. And then more organized but linked to business angels are venture capitalists. And venture capitalists, again, can be found everywhere in America. And those are people with even more assets who are willing to purchase into businesses and they often invest in the syndicate. So we've got two general sources, debt and equity. And of course, there are also pieces where you could get loans or grants where you don't have to pay the money back. And there's lots of opportunities. If you think you have a good business idea, there are also business plan competitions and you're a college student like yourself all over the country where you can enter with some idea and win some money to continue to grow your business. I've seen actually some videos like that where people would like enter into, there's like this Microsoft thing competition and they entered with a garbage can and with the idea that they had, they actually won the amount. So it would be something like that, right? Yeah, exactly. And these are advertised all over the country. Of course, the running universities, but some corporations have them. Here in Boca Raton, we have a great company called Office Depot. And they actually have a business plan competition to open to students all across America. So there's certainly those opportunities. Always one needs to weigh the time money trade-off, right? So ideally one can enter these competitions with the same type of pitch and video and write-up such that the effort to apply to any new competition once you do the first one is fairly low and Therefore, that's important because you always want to look at the time trade-off. But these business plan competitions can often be a great opportunity to meet local business owners in your area. Now, we've also seen folks try to raise money through crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. So that's another neat source. And there are many great crowdfunding websites like Kickstarter. The issue there on a couple of occasions has been giving away the idea to others who then replicate. So it doesn't happen often doesn't happen often, but it does happen from time to time. But crowdfunding can be a great opportunity. And there's a couple different crowdfunding models, one of which is that you just give money to someone to help them start their business. And another model is that you give money, but then you expect the first set of products later. We were going to talk about social entrepreneurship too. So we've been talking a lot about traditional entrepreneurs like your cousin, we're trying to start a t-shirt company or another business. But we also have a type of entrepreneurship called social entrepreneurship, which is where you're starting a business venture that has some sort of a social or environmental goal. Now, it doesn't have to be the whole goal of the business. We have a lot of hybrid companies where certainly we still have the economic value that we want to add, but we'd like to do something that benefits society as well more explicitly. So an example of a social venture that I wrote about in the book is my former student, uh, Maria Rose Feldy. And Maria was in middle school when she was working at a food bank. And she realized that when she looked at the food bank shelves, they had way too much of some products and way too little of others. And she said, wouldn't it be great if food banks could better control the inventory that they get? So she created an app on the cell phone where... If you're operating a food bank, basically a platform, you could go on there and you could see the other side of the platform, which is the restaurants, the casinos, the others, even factories that have produced too much food and want to get rid of it. But they don't just want to throw it in the trash. They want to give it to people who can eat it. So she created an app that's now available in every state across the country and has moved tons of food. And so that's an example of a social venture. 
Another example of the social ventures, another one of my former students, Cam Ross. Cam realized that many states and municipalities were getting rid of plastic straws due to safety concerns. So he set up a company that produces a biodegradable plastic straw, and he's selling those into restaurants and bars across the country and also has added new inventory in terms of utensils. So that was feedback from his customers, the restaurants. They didn't want to just buy a straw. They wanted to buy some utensils as well. Would you say that we were in a social era? Very much so. That's a great question. A lot of young people especially want to start social ventures. When we do surveys, which we do sometimes of potential entrepreneurs all over the world, we see that especially young people like yourself in that 18 to 25 or even younger than 18 range want to start a business that really benefits their communities. Or even if they start a traditional business, they want to do something that has a more sustainable piece. So that might be, for example, running a t-shirt company, but only sourcing organic cotton. Or that might be running a bounce house company, but then do donating five or 10% of the profits to the local children's hospital. So those would be some examples of ways that one can run a business but still adding lots of economic value and providing for you and your family, but is also contributing to the community. Is there a final message you would want to leave our listeners with? Thank you. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. I would encourage you and all the other students in America and around the world who are thinking about entrepreneurship to just jump in and try it. Make the plunge, again, not necessarily with a lot of capital, but with a lot of self-starting initiative, good ideas, constant learning, like we've talked about, surround yourself with the right people and just try it. Our country, our world will be so much better off if we enable all these folks with innovative ideas to begin to bring those to the market. And we'll be living in a more exciting world as well. If you can think back to your childhood, all the products and services that didn't exist and that are now here, and now your generation can be the next to bring a host of new products and services to market. So just do it in the words of uh, Phil Light and Nike. Well, thank you for being here. You've been listening to Deconstructing Management, a podcast made by college students for college students. Be sure to check the show notes for resources related to this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.